Welcome to Same Old City, an independent York City fans podcast. My name's Simon Kraft, and who's alongside me today? My name's Ben Aspidal. And returning for another bite of nostalgia, it's your nostalgia correspondent, Chipsy Boy CFC, aka Will Harris, uh, here to talk about what, who remembers Pogs, um, <laughs> our Freddos, bigger or smaller than they used to be, and crucially, we would never have gone down if we'd sacked Dolan. Yeah, we, we have Will back on the pod. Very pleased to have him here. He's our nostalgia correspondent, or specifically our 90s games against big teams from <laughs> Manchester correspondent, because we're looking back on the 25th anniversary of York City 2, Manchester City 1, from, I believe it was called Division 2 at the time. Old money. Yep. Let's, uh, let's take you back to that time then. So number one in the UK charts, as I'm sure we all remember, was... Bewitched with To You I Belong. Um, on the day of the game itself, December the 19th, the US House of Representatives forwards articles of impeachment against President Clinton in the Senate, making him the second president to be impeached in the nation's history. And in the world of football, um, leading the Premier League table was John Gregory's Aston Villa team, ahead of Manchester United. A Villa team that featured future York manager Steve Watson. So that was sort of uh, where the world was at that time, but I'd like to sort of think about what were we doing in our lives at that time, December 1998. So for me, I was uh, I was 11. I'd just started secondary school. Wasn't going quite as much to City anymore, uh, mostly because my dad had moved away from York for a bit and he used to take me. So I'd gone quite a bit in the mid-90s, not so much there. But, but yeah, I was just sort of uh, adapting to secondary school. And, you know, as, as famous fans of Manchester City once said, I was spending most of my time slowly walking down the hall Faster than a cannonball, uh, but Ben, where were you while we were getting high? I was very much in the uh, in the same boat. To be honest with you, same school year as you. I had started at secondary school. My football fandom hadn't quite encompassed York just by this point. Um, I'd been to plenty of Division Two matches in the mid nineties, much like yourself, uh, tagging along with family members and neighbours. But I was I wouldn't I was not what you'd call um, a regular uh, match goer. I can't say off the top of my head I remember go, go, going to too many matches in that 99 season. I can't think why that is. It was obviously something that I followed on on CFAX and in the press. And obviously I had a few friends who would go, but definitely you know not my um, not at the height of my uh, interest in our local club. Page 312 for life. Mm, that's the big one. So, Will, what were, what were you up to in, in December 98? So I mentioned um, on the previous uh, Man- Manchester podcast uh, that I would have been at second, still at second school for that time. By this point, I've left York. I've moved up Newcastle where I was studying. And like all 19-year-olds, I thought I was going to live forever. Um, I was still very much um, watching City, but from afar, um, the, kind of the games that were more in the northeast, I would try and get to some we played um like the likes of Darlington or Hartlepool around that time I'd go and see that and I would come down to Bootham Crescent uh, maybe six seven times a season on the train um, obviously really keen to make the trip for this one this was a big game this was against a big club this was um, to me a big match and, and well worth getting down for so um, still very much following them uh, again through CFAX again through very very early internet when I used to go and sit in our university's cup bright computer room and rather than writing an essay i would log on and read avidly whatever was on the forerunner to the forums that we have now and the uh, 
very early days of the BBC match reports and stuff like that. And as I say, I, I came down for this one. I would I came down to probably I don't know half a dozen games um, every season, including this one. Um, I actually had a bit of a flutter with Sunderland. My flatmate was a Sunderland fan, so I was going to the Stadium of Light as well. So at that time, I had a slight not split allegiance. I was always very much York, but I was kind of watching watching someone else on the side, shall we say? <laughs> yeah, although I wasn't getting to that many games at this time, I did go to this one. I think it was one that sort of captured everyone's imagination a bit, really. Um, but yeah, let's look at the context of what was happening with the two clubs at the time. So starting with York, it was our sixth consecutive season in what was then known as Division 2, so now League 1. But we had struggled in the league in the previous three seasons. So we'd finished 20th twice in a row and then 16th. Obviously, we'd uh, we've covered the Manchester United League Cup win, which was a, a bit of a high during that time. Also, they had the win over Everton in the Cup. But league form, we were, we were kind of clinging on in Division 2. Still had Alan Little as manager. We'd had a decent start to this season. So if you look at the first 10 games, we'd won five, drawn three and lost two. But our form had tailed off a bit since then. So ahead of this game, we were sat in 17th place, just three points clear of the relegation zone. So in terms of York at the time, Will, obviously you weren't going every week. But what were your sort of memories of following us around this time or this season in particular was there still sort of optimism that nah it had got a bit stale for me I mean as you've mentioned we'd kind of got we'd kind of struggled to some quite lowly finishes um we'd got some really good players I mean Tinkler was a great player um you had um some real quality players in there um Pepper had been had been gone, obviously by that point. A lot of the players we've mentioned on the, pre- on the previous pod had, had kind of gone by this point in time. But you'd got Tinkler, um, you'd got some decent defenders. Barry Jones won back-to-back player of the seasons. I mean, Bobby Mims was a, a very solid keeper, and there were still some of the stalwarts of um, the Manu game and the Everton game still at the club. It just all felt a bit stale. And um, personally, I was one of those who was quite dissatisfied with having Alan Little still at the club. And to my shame, I actually now look back and realise that was actually quite stupid because, you know, we've never we've never had anyone as good as that in terms of league position since then. Um, certainly, we I was kind of quite disenchanted with how he was setting the team up. I felt I wasn't sure that he was quite the right man anymore. And for me, it had just got to the point where they were my club and I was following them, but it, it was more kind of not an obligation, but that point we all come to, I think, where that first flush of excitement and kind of buy-in has gone. And they're just, yeah, kind of, you're stuck with your team. I'd say I'd gone see a few Sunderland games. I was never going to go and follow them properly, but it was just nice to go and watch a team playing attacking stuff. And... I I kind of I came down to the Man City game kind of it, it, uh, more in hope than expectation, and that was probably my state of mind for most of the games I'd seen for probably the last I don't know season and a half at that point. What do what I do find quite interesting is like that mid nineties run in what is now League One, but we will mm. refer to it as Division Two for uh, for ease of consistency. Yeah, um, York were a middling. Uh, team that kind of you mentioned the, the two 20th place finishes yeah but i do remember that bizarre run in 97 98 where we were like third behind brentford and millwall for, for a bit like in yes. the playoffs yeah yeah I, I remember just like following that on on scat like the live games that were I, I think it was still the ensley at this point wasn't it it was the ensley yeah it was it the ensley still there yeah. just say uh, why why is a team that like, I'm a mate some school support, but the really rubbish one. They, they seem to be flying high in the playoffs. And you mentioned tailing off into 16th, um, you know, by the end of that season. But I do remember the season before the one in question that we're talking about today being something of a, 
of a of a difference to you know the uh, mediocre kind of stale mm. run that you mentioned there, Will. So I I, I too young enough to, too young to remember it properly. But what you mentioned about it being a bit you know a bit samey and a bit stale. You know what we would give to have those times again right now. I I totally agree, but oh. I I know what you mean. I, it, it's the same like every week we'd get beat by someone terrible at home and then beat someone really good away, and we that just stay in the table and league in Division Two. It just pretty like much that. how it felt. And would yeah. we not all bite our hand off now for finishing <laughs> in absolutely bang mid table in you know what is now League One and was then Division Two? <laughs> um, yeah, be careful what you wish for because no, absolutely, I, was saying, yeah. I was very much in the little that kind of shot his bolt and should go. And having listened to him speak subsequently, I, I feel quite guilty about that. He's a very very honourable man, and he perhaps. Yeah. We probably bit well. Um, would, uh, we probably binned him off and shouldn't have done it anyway. It it was what it was. But you know, we never, we can't say we replaced him with anyone better, can we? Realistically, no, no, that's very true. And you know, I guess we'll come to the the aftermath of this fixture. But losing important players and uh, other players getting older, I guess it was kind of um, what is the phrase I'm looking for? Is it fate to comply? Just this was going to happen, wasn't it? At some point, yeah. and yeah, I think so. This was a season. But what about the visitors, Manchester City? So, never heard of them. No, nope. never heard of them. Nope, no idea. No well, idea whatsoever. We've got some notes here, so let's try and refresh our. Memories. Please do. I would love to learn a thing or two. Thank you, Simon. Yeah. So they are. They play in blue. Ha <laughs> ha! Marvelous. That explains why my wife wears it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so Manchester City in the nineties. It's a very interesting era in the club. A mm. bit of a basket case, really, but. Absolutely. So they'd been relegated from the Premier League at the end of the 95-96 season under Alan Ball. So yeah, they went down on the last day of the season after seven seasons in the top flight. Famously relegated by radio. I don't know if you know that story. Playing for a, They were playing for a draw against Liverpool before being informed um, by the touchline, actually, lads, you need to get a win now. Oh, is that that and one? It was, uh, yeah, it was See, a little bit too we'd never late. do that, would we? That would never be a city <laughs> thing, ever. We're, that would not happen. Still. If you want to, if you want to hear that happen to the City, uh, give a listen to uh, our coverage of the Forest Green game from 2017, where that exactly happened to us. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they they went down despite having some quite big name players like George Kincladze, who'd impressed in in the Premier League despite that relegation. Uwe Rosler, Niall Quinn. It was a surprise, wasn't it? I mean, Alan Ball. Mm. Everyone spoke very highly of him. Do you know what I mean? So, I mean, I think that was a big surprise to everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they didn't sort of bounce back immediately from Division 1. Um, they were mid-table the following season. They went through five different managers. I think Steve, Cop- Steve Coppel was famously one of them, I believe, if that's correct. I think he I lasted about so. 30 days or something. I, like that. So. I think um, it's not in the notes, but and we don't have enough to go off, you know, to go into in depth. But I believe there was massive ownership issues, wasn't there? I think there was different there was. chairman coming and going, wasn't there? Yeah. It was Franny Lee they... around the time, was it? Yeah, it was yeah there was a, a Lee thing. And I, I believe none of the chairman could get anyone to stand by them. Oh. So mm. that just didn't work. That doesn't neither, work. Neither, either. neither that pun either. There, no, uh, no, well, that but, really didn't work. Good try. Good try. No, a, yeah, a, a shot and a miss. Swing and a miss. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, you know, you've got to go let it out, haven't you, when you've got this. Yeah, uh, yeah where did that, this is true. Where did it all go wrong? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they moved into 97 98, still in Division 1, but they were still struggling. And they sacked Frank Clark, who was the manager then, replaced mm. him with Joe Royal who decided he needed a bit of a sort of back-to-basics approach, uh, which, of course, Ben, as you'll know, was popular in the 90s, back-to-basics. And uh, <laughs> he, yeah, he sort of Good callback. Great callback, Simon. Good work. <laughs> he fell out with King Kladzi, 
dropped him. Um, mm. Decided that you know he needed some some grit and steel mm. to um, to stay up, but didn't quite come off. So they they did end up finishing twenty second and getting relegated to the third tier for the first time in their history. Famously won five two at Stoke on the last game of the season, but still went down if I recall correctly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a game against QPR where there was a comical own goal by Jamie Pollock. I know that one. That was on every yeah. football Christmas every video. Single yeah, every compilation that one. Video. Yeah. It's yeah. still good. It's it, it's still it's, it's really aged good. very well, hasn't it? it? Has aged cracking, well. cracking finish. Yeah, and that's yeah was sort of a pivotal result in in actually sending them down. I think. Mm. So yeah, they're down there slumming it with the likes of uh, well of York City. <laughs> as well as Macclesfield Town yeah Macclesfield's a big one as well isn't it I mean that must be the most galling one yeah obviously I mean, with the with the local rivalry yeah um, and don't forget uh, I think this is the season where Stockport are in Division 1 so Stockport were higher than Manchester City as oh, well that's interesting didn't know that but yeah what were your sort of thoughts at the time on having Man City in the same league as us I mean we'd you know obviously we'd had some decent or bigger yeah. name sides like Birmingham City I remember us playing in the league You've mentioned Birmingham, um, and I remember us playing, you know, what I would term big clubs. So we played Birmingham, we uh, we played Swindon one season when they were still quite a big deal. Uh, we used to play stuff against Stockport fairly regularly, or always a, a decent side. So we'd always had kind of those clubs who were who were big, and it was interesting because obviously in our current league and when we were in uh, National League North, and you kind of felt that we were always kind of the big dogs, the ones that we wanted to come in and people would have a go at us. And actually, yeah. it felt when we had the likes of Man City coming to town um, that actually we were the underdogs and that that was a different kind of position to be in. And that this felt very much like that. They were they weren't having the best of seasons. We weren't having the best of seasons. But it they they to me on that day they were kind of the big club and we were the underdogs. So I think mm-hmm. it kind of felt a bit bit like bit like that rather than a standard league game. I think that probably explains why I, I made the effort to kind of get down just in case we saw something big. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned they hadn't started brilliantly and neither had we. Yeah, they, I mean, in terms of the immediate start of the season, they did start quite well and they went top after seven games uh, with a win over Macclesfield. But then they fell away a bit, only had three more wins from the next 14 games. So going into this game, they only sat in ninth place uh, and just six points ahead of us. So, yeah, not where they would have expected to be. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there was a lot of pressure on Royal to, you know, get automatic promotion, bounce back immediately. There was a lot of um, tension between the fans and the management and the ownership. It was not a uh, yeah. not a fun atmosphere, I don't think, at the time uh, uh-huh. for Man City. But let's take a look at the the lineups. So, starting with York, we had Bobby Mims in goal, um, who we'd referenced before. Obviously, had played in the Premier League prior to that. I think Mims gets a very raw deal actually um, in that if you refer- if you ask any City fan of my age or slightly earlier, you know, who are the best keepers you've seen in City? He won't get anywhere near that. And I think most of the reason for that is that basically we were awful consistently when he played for us. And actually, as he does in this game, he bailed us out consistently with some really, really big saves. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was obviously, he was getting on. He, he wasn't as quick. Um, he would make the occasional ricket. But actually, as a keeper, he's very, very solid. And I think he probably gets a bad rap because, yeah, we were pretty awful. We, As you say, we finished 20, 20th, 16th. Um, he had a pretty porous defence playing behind him. And I think that if he had some better players around him, I think he'd be much, much higher up in the City goalkeeping hero 
list. Mm-hmm. Adlin is son. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and yeah, in front of Mims in defence, you've got Andy McMillan and Wayne Hall at fullbacks. So fairly mm-hmm. classic nineties uh, fullbacks for York. Um, it, they were both just coming back from injury as well. It was first game back uh, in a while for the pair of them. And in the centre of defence, Tony Barris uh, with Barry Jones. Moving into midfield, it was Scott Jordan, Gary Hemsworth, who was also just back from injury, Martin Garrett, who we'll probably mention a little bit, a promising young player at the time, mm. and Gordon Connolly, I guess, would have been playing on the wing, would he? That realistically would have been Connolly right, Hemsworth would have played left, and you'd have had Garrett and Jordan in the middle. Garrett was kind of breaking through as a kind of left-sided um, left-sided midfielder come centre mid, and I think he'd gone in centre mid by that point. Connolly, of course, is the player that we signed instead of Gary Teal. Did we know that? I didn't no. know that. We are aware of Gary Teal, who had a fairly successful career at um, championship <laughs> and premiership level, mm. and we scouted him and went, no, we're not going to pay £70,000 for him. Uh, we will sign Connolly for the same amount of money, who we believe <laughs> to be a much, much, much better player. I will let you all go and check, check Wikipedia as to what happened to Gordon Connolly. It's <laughs> not as good as Gary Teal. So, yes, another YCFC signing masterstroke there. I'm shaking my fist in the air and shouting, Dougie! <laughs> <laughs> and up front, Neil Tolson uh, with Richard Cresswell alongside him. Cresswell had been at the club a few seasons, but this was sort of the real breakthrough season for him. Yeah. Already on mm-hmm. 14 goals. I can remember seeing him come off the bench quite a lot the couple of seasons prior to this on the games that I went to. Yeah. I mean, as a kid, you don't really have that much sense of who's going to be a big player, but I never really felt that with Cresswell. I thought, you know, he was obviously had had some ability, but he didn't seem a cut above to me. It was no. really this season when he started to show that, I think. That would be my perception anyway. I'm to draw a more recent parallel. I think it's quite similar to the Brody story. Brody signs for us as a raw kid, comes off the bench a bit, looks okay, look quite a bit, quite out of place, gets gets quite a rough ride actually off some of the city faithful. Uh, similarly, Cresswell was getting really quite a lot of abuse when he was coming off or playing or not doing particularly well. He got sent out on loan again, like Brody. Um, I think Cresswell to Mansfield and it was a, a, said at the time it was basically to get him away from York to give him a chance to kind of build off somewhere else and like Brody, he came back and suddenly hit the ground running the next season and scored all the goals and and yeah I like you I, I didn't think he'd he bulked out that summer he definitely bulked out he, he'd seemed to have grown a bit as well and but yeah he, when he first broke in I didn't look at him and go yeah you're the next big thing you're the next Paul Barnes and that season he was yeah in terms of absentees for York uh, Steve Agnew and Mark Tinkler were both out, presumably yeah. with injury. Um, so a couple of fairly major... Uh, they would have absences. both played, I would imagine. Um, you know, Agnew was captain, I think, by that point, and Tinkler was pretty much the midfield mainstay. So, yeah, they would have both been been there. I think looking at this like starting eleven, um, it calls back a little bit, um, Chips, in what you said earlier, about it being stagnant. Not to yeah. criticise a team per se, but yeah. there's players in this team, um, I'm looking at Andy Mack, Wayne Hall, Barris... Jordan, um, Tolson, who'd been there for what five years at this point, if not maybe, maybe even Tolson, um, Andy, oh, Andy Max, uh, getting on, yeah, getting on for a decade, similar to Hall, yeah. um, Barris have been there quite a bit. Um, every school kid, even if it's Port York, we all knew who Wayne Hall was and who yeah. Andy Mack was, and um, Scott Jordan, 
popular name. I, everyone knew who the, like Moses the Spanish team was. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It, it, but it's a good thing that people know who they are. But it's also calling back to this stodgy, you know, saniness that you're referring to. You know, where was the squad advancing, or was it just <sighs> you know, was it was it just wheels just spinning? Do you know what I mean? It's um, yeah. I think there was an attempt, little by little, to advance it. But I think there were two problems. One is that we. We were running on a budget. I mean, obviously, we were competing against a club with much, mm. much bigger budgets. And as we know, Douglas Craig didn't want to spend the money. And his uh, his MO was to sell one big player every year. So we'd get mm-hmm. someone like Murty, develop Murty, flog him on. And so there was always that someone will come through, look good and get sold, as happens, as happens to Cresswell this season. And I think, if I'm being brutally honest, the money we did give a little spend, he spent it really badly. Uh, David mm. Rush was an appalling signing. Yeah. Um, Adrian Randall was decent on his day, but as we know, liked to be here, and therefore that wasn't a particularly <laughs> good signing. But I agree with you. It's, the side reflects a team that feels a bit stagnant, uh, feels a bit a bit stuck. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. that probably re- reflected my mood at the time anyway. Okay, so starting for Manchester City, there was a 19-year-old Nicky Weaver in goal who'd just broken through to the first team. In defence, you got Richard Edgehill, Lee Crooks, Nick Fenton, Tony Vaughan. In midfield, Jamie Pollock, Kevin Harlock, Michael Brown and Ian Bishop. And up front, Craig Russell and Gareth Taylor. Now, to say Man City were a big team at the time, even in this league, that's not a star-studded lineup, is it? That's a fairly workmanlike mm. team of players who've mostly come through their academy. It's quite a young side. I guess Ian Bishop was a bit of a big name. Bishop was Bishop was ancient by that point, wasn't he? He'd been at West Ham for donkey's years. Yeah, I think um, he was mid thirties. Yeah, I mean, as as obviously as a, as a City fan, the names I recognised like from a distance were the midfield um, Pollock and Horlock and Brown. I'd heard of, and I'd heard of Craig Russell chiefly because, um, as I mentioned, my flatmate was a Mackham, and he 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 went told me how good Craig Russell was. So I was scared of him. Um, but yeah, the, the, the defence is probably the one you look at and go, yeah, that's that's not the the defence. That's not people you've heard of. That's not stellar stars, is it? Mm-hmm. And obviously Weaver was a kid at that point, although he did go on to do very, very well. And the miss, the missing Gota and Dickov is just massive, isn't it? I mean, they're the two yeah. most reputable names in that yeah, squad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they hadn't quite found the... Um sort of recipe up front yet, I don't think, no. with which to feed the goat. Because mm-hmm. I don't think him or Dickov had started amazingly, although no. they'd obviously go on to do pretty well this season in the end. Wasn't quite the supersonic pairing they hoped for, was it? Yeah. No, no, it wasn't at all. But um, I think the thing was, like, with um, Gota, not only did he go on to do well this season, he went on to go do well in the Premier League two years later, didn't he? It was... Um, just mesmerising how well he did. And Dickov had done it before and went on to do it again. So thinking back about this game in question, you know, looking at the two on isolation, like, bloody hell, we did well to avoid them two, didn't we? We really did. Yeah, we really did. Some might say it was Man City's injury crisis that actually uh, mm. caused this result. Mm. But we'll, we'll debate whether that's the case. I mean, obviously, the thing was, you mentioned um, Weaver. There was a lot of hype about him at this time as well. He was, was um, I think he went on to become an under-21 England player. He I was think pretty he much already been at that point. Yeah, yeah, that's a good, he was, yeah. He was, I think he, a big he, name. He was absolutely going to uh, play for England one day. He was going to be England's number one, possibly after yeah. Seaman. There was a lot of hype about him. There was. Edgehill um, was very popular amongst uh, match going blues, um, which had Hill defence. He was very, very popular, but, but, but more of like a, a cult figure. Oh, up front, uh, yeah, I've got Gareth Taylor, 
um, who's probably not well known amongst non-Man City fans, but uh, I'm reliably informed that he's now a, a coach at Man City and wow. he's, he's very, very popular amongst supporters, although apparently something of a boo boy at the time. But let's move into the match itself. So I'm guessing um, we've all perused the highlights. Now, it's worth saying that, um, you know, we're talking for about December 1998. Records from the era are spotty at best. And there are, I think, 41 <laughs> seconds of highlights available. But what are 41 seconds, eh? Film, film from top of a social club, is that fair? Yes, yes it is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not the, the greatest of angles for all the goals. Mm. Um, and you don't see a lot of the build-up to some of them. So, yeah, we are, we're going to be going slightly on vibes and very vague memories, uh, at least mm-hmm. in my case. But we also do have the uh, match reports from the time. To look back on the uh, the York Press one, we've had a look at. On the subject, I would recommend anyone seek the uh, Press Match Report out. Absolutely, it's a great read. It's written by Tony Kelly. Don't know how long he was the uh, the city correspondent for, but if you think we love a pun or a forced metaphor on this podcast, he is cramming about <laughs> three into each sentence. Tony Kelly is the master of the leaden albatross of mixed metaphor. Yeah, there's most of them don't <laughs> quite work, but. <laughs> Mm. So the first bit of action in just the second minute is York City taking the lead. Lane for Cresswell. This is the highly talented youngster. A number of Premiership clubs are watching. Gets him a good cross. Forced to Conley. The former Stockport player has scored for the Yorkshireman. It's a nice pass by Martin Garrett to start things off, who sort of... Uh, you know, finds Richard Cresswell out on the wing from quite deep within his own half. So he's showing his, you know, decent passing range. Cresswell does a little bit of trickery out on the wing, puts in a cross, which seems to sort of go through Neil Tolson's legs, and then finds Gordon Connolly, who's rushing in to lash the ball home, make it 1-0. Was this Connolly's uh, only decent contribution in a City shirt, would you say, Will? Or, um... Yeah, it's probably up there. I, I have a memory that he scored another couple of goals early in the season. Um, it's a it's a good finish, to be fair. He hits it first time, mm. he hits it really well. There's a lot of power in that. Um, the big thing for me there is that the, the pass from Garrett, who is still yeah. basically a baby in football terms, is stunning. And mm. and actually, it's two young, two really young players. I mean, Cresswell, by this point, is 21, 20s. Cresswell has already played for England in 21 at this point, which a lot of people sometimes forget that he was playing. He got call up to England while still in, you know, um, Division 2 with us, which was a, a real you know, as a plus point for the club. So you've got two quality youngsters there combining for um, a player, let's just say a player of ours to to hit home. It is probably Connolly's um, highest point. I can't remember him doing much much of substance after that in the other half season he had with us. Um, but yeah, it's a good goal. It's a well-worked goal. Um, and yeah, 1-0 up early doors. I think you're right, Simon. You used the word lashing. He lashes at home, didn't you? Uh, that's absolutely spot on. Um, he hits it so hard and Weaver's given absolutely no chance. Um, it's like a rocket. If, you, it, if it's not stopped by the net, it could go all around the world. It's it's hit really, really well. Um, and I love um, in the build-up, you're going to have to forgive me, I've not done as much research. Uh, Man City's number two at right back. Um, clearly a better player than he's um, exemplified in this highlight. Cresswell does him far too easy to get that cross in, I think. Really um, easily, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and 
you can sense the ang- we've all seen that from our own York players in our in our non-league North days where like come on you're better than that to be done by a young whippersnapper um, other things I enjoy um, as somebody who worked in a pub in Manchester that served Manchester City fans for four years uh, seeing a Norwegian flag on the advertising hoarding is lovely um, I've met a few of the uh, Norwegian uh, Man City fans so I wonder if it's them and then obviously the goal um, is you know it happens the ball hits the net and those waving arms from the packed away end that sheer anger at going down to a epoxy lower league team like York City inside 84 seconds. You absolutely love to see it. Things you love to see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we haven't really talked about how many fans Man City brought because that's kind of a, a point of contention. <laughs> they definitely fill the away end. Yep. I think if you check the Guinness Book of Records, it's the <laughs> highest ever attendance at an away game by any club ever, isn't it? Obviously, Leeds would have bought more. But, mm. but you know, historically, I believe this is this is the jumping off point where every Man City fan believe, tells you that they were there on that day, according to that documentary that was popping a couple of years back. <laughs> the, the recorded attendance figure is... 7,527, so probably not far off capacity at Boogan Crescent at that point. Yeah. Yeah, and we were speculating uh, off Mick before we started about how much that was Man City fans, and um, Ben, you talked about that you thought they had quite a lot of the pop. And Would you um, would you like to know the figure? Yeah, go on. So um, Man City's programme for the last game of the season against us, which I have in my hands right now, lists the match attendance as 7,527. Mm-hmm. And it lists the away f- uh, fans as 2851. Now, you also mentioned, both of you, I don't remember this, but both of you have memories of it, that there were Man City fans in the Shippo in pockets of that. So I think we'll mm. probably ratchet that to comfortably over 3,000 on the basis mm. that some of those won't be counted in the away attendance as they'll have come in the home end. So, I'd yeah, that. it was yeah. probably 3,000 and some, 4,000 and some, probably sounds about right. So yeah. a fairly equal split. And actually, when we get onto their goal, the noise on the highlights is very much a home noise. It's not an away team noise uh, at all. It's, it is it's absolutely, yeah. a lot of Manx there making all the noise. But yeah, we, we went 1-0 up. Uh, slightly unexpected lead. And according to the match report, so there's no highlights of this, but we had a penalty claim where Cresswell was impeded by Tony Vaughan. I'm going to go on the record and say that I think it was a Stonewall pen. That should definitely <laughs> As someone who watched it, I have no memory of this at all. And wow. the fact that... <laughs> so, I mean, whether that was one of those... I love um, if you follow the city official account uh the lads are doing it now do some great work but you do have that if you're actually at the game when it says oh john lewis fizzes a shot just wide you're thinking john lewis has just spanked it absolutely <laughs> high and wide and it's gone about 20 yards over so there is an amount of hyperbole that is involved in writing uh social media reports and social media commentary certainly and i wonder whether that was a bit of hyperbole from the match report i have no memory of this whatsoever <laughs> if someone shows me and goes i might go yeah fine change my mind it was a penalty but yeah i suspect not a lot really based on i the think fact that I've got no memory at all i think based on you know the match report and um the Insistence from uh, from our friend Mr. Kelly. I think it's definitely maybe a penalty. Fair um, enough. That'll yeah. do. Two one. Yeah. It was a penalty. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to to mention my favourite bit of um, of Tony Kelly's report. It was when he's describing the opening goal um, because he says uh, Cresswell's low cross was missed wildly by Tolson, but not by Gordon Connolly. He of new haircut. He's like, oh, oh, why has he mentioned that? Why is that relevant? Sean Connolly, and that's Sean as in like he's had his head 
Sean yeah, yeah. of its hair. Sean yeah. Connolly rammed the ball home from 15 yards for the sort of execution 007 would have been proud of because it sounds like Sean Connery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. He's, he's clearly, uh, yeah, yeah, I get it. He's somehow um, got that, that he wants to get to that ending and he's not quite put yeah. all the steps together to get to it, but I like that he, I like that he commits to it anyway. Yeah, I, I, it feels, yeah, that like he's arrived at the punchline way before anything else. I'm going to get this in. I'm going to get that in no matter what. Yeah, mm -hmm. Connolly arrived with long hair and did all right. Actually, that's the point. Connolly arrived with long hair, did all right. Obviously had a haircut and then promptly fell off a cliff for the rest of the season. So maybe there's some uh, kind of Samson and Delilah effect going on there. I like it. Um, but yeah, moving back into the game itself, mm. there was allegedly on 21 minutes a leaping save from Bobby Mims to turn away a Craig Russell curler. Which and now was... I do remember more, and that, that's kind of I, I have a memory of, of lots of this going on, and Mims would regularly bail out his defence, and then would scream at them, and they would <laughs> ignore him. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I I have a vague memory of that happening, and um, Russell, uh, as he proves uh, about ten minutes later, was very. He would do that thing where he would cut in from the left and do a step over, and then try and put it in the corner. He used to do it for Sunderland. He did it for Manchester quite a few occasions. Did it to us, and that's what he was trying to do there. Yeah, and in terms of Mims, there's definite consensus among the uh, match reports and so on that he had a really good game today and was yeah, probably the, yeah, the reason City ended up winning. But yeah, let's talk about that equaliser because that goes in in the 32nd minute where Craig Russell whips in a chip over Bobby Mims from wide left. The yo-yo game. There's Russell, chips the goalkeeper from... Well, an acute angle, but he beat Bobby Mims. A great equaliser from Craig Russell. For some reason, I was stood near the pop stand uh, mm. transfer hut, so sort of directly in line with where this shot was taken from. Um, and it looked sort of from a freakish angle to my 11-year-old eyes. To be honest, this is the only bit of the game I remember really vividly. Um, and I fully assumed it was a cross that, that just landed in. I still sort of think it was, but you're making me doubt that by talking about Craig Russell having form for this sort of thing. Uh, yeah. On the day, I was convinced he just shin like miss kicked it and it come off the side and gone had gone in as a cross. Having seen it back and having watched it again recently, and with the benefit of these old arthritic eyes, I think he meant it. Right. Well, Tony Barris did did confirm that it took a nick off him on the way as well. Oh, it was yeah. own goal then. So yeah, that's fine. Yeah, two one <laughs> own goal. It looks like he means it. It, it, he wants it. He wants him to be it because it looks like a real good bit of quality yeah. that you don't see in such divisions, do you? It looks like a great little dink. I can't see an obvious deflection, so I, w I will let Tony not be embarrassed about uh, his contributions. Very good. Very good. So, um, yeah, if you watch these highlights in isolation, we have to now because there's 41 seconds worth of footage. You can't help but feel like we get two decent goals, but Man City's goal is like really bloody good. What a great bit of technique and quality from like these, you know, underperforming uh, stars that should be at least one division higher. So um, yeah, I want it to be an on-deflection. I want it to be a moment of brilliance um, from us all. I want it to be that good because it makes the, our victory and our, you know, how we succeed even sweeter. And do we think we see some limbs going up in celebration in the Longhurst? From Man City I think fans, we, yeah, I think it? we do. Yeah, if you, you want, do see I, some, don't you? Yeah, yeah. As I say, I don't remember up there being on the day. Um, perhaps not where I was standing. Um, 
but I yeah, if you look on the highlights, there's there's one or two quite clearly having getting excited at that point. So obviously there was I'd say there were some some away lads that sneaked in the home end and tried to keep quiet. Let's just do some CSI York City. So the next shot in the highlights is three Man City players celebrating in front of the advertising hoardings at the pop stand in front of a, a lot of Man City uh, supporters celebrating. Where do we reckon that is in the pop stand along, you know, towards the ship or is it back towards the away end? I, I mean, I'm asking a lot here from uh, two thirds of an advertising hoarding, but it looks to me like it's because why would you go back to it? Strikes me as then celebrating near the York end because as Man City fans are celebrating in front of I'm guessing here I'm you know being theoretical but what, does anybody remember anything perhaps from the day no no I don't nope. I would, yeah yeah I'm wondering how much of the pop stand they were given whether it was that standard bit through to the division or whether mm. Man City fans were given more and maybe that's why I think they might have had, I think they would have had more just just from those numbers alone um, I mean I the, the ship I was rammed I remember it was it felt much much more packed in there than usual, but even so, I think mm. just looking at the numbers that you've read out, Ben, I think they must have had much more of the pop stand than usual. Yeah, but yeah, it's one all. It seems like again from most reports that we've got, Man City were sort of starting to dominate the game, mm-hmm. um, sort of show their slight bit of extra class. Um, there's a chance apparently for Gareth Taylor, who screwed a header wide from Lee Crooks's cross just before half time, uh, mm-hmm. but we did go in at one all. But then, yeah, it sort of carried on the Man City chances after half-time. So, again, Mims sort of coming to City's rescue. So, if I could just ask at this point, sorry, the match part is interesting. It does give the it gives the impression of, I'm using the word Man City dominance. Is that your memory of it? Was it under the, like, this is, was this game smash and grab or did we play well? I think my memory... Um, is that we played well, but it was more of a cup tie. One of those right. where you've got right. where yeah. we were the plucky, plucky club that took our chances and, and relied on some last ditch defending and some really good quality play from the goalkeeper, and would occasionally mm. break away and attempt to do something. Um, right. But it 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 didn't feel it didn't feel like we were kind of matching them. It felt like yeah, we were kind of hanging on, and um, I don't call exactly how I, how I felt at the end in that sense but I, I remember on the day feeling that we kind of got away with it certainly at the mm-hmm. end where we, we when Nick we got the got the winner um, there are a couple of other chances for City as well particularly another one for Connolly where apparently Tolson's neat swivel and pass fed Connolly but his wicked low shot was gathered at the second attempt by Nicky Weaver now this isn't on the highlights so I I, I think that the word wicked again that could be hyped <laughs> that, that who knows? That could have been an extremely weak blob. It could have been. It could have been a. a who? I, we've no idea. I don't remember it. Uh, do you remember it? Saw so you were there in, in 1998. Did wicked mean good yet? Had that <laughs> happened yet? Was that around that sort were, of time? Were the kids? You know, were the kids saying wicked? wicked. How do you do, fellow kids? Were you saying wicked <laughs> in 1998? So Bobby Mims did get beaten apparently on 77 minutes when the ball was headed over the onrushing Mims by someone Tony Kelly identifies as Stuart. Now, we haven't been able to find the existence of anyone called Stuart in the Man City squad that day, <laughs> so who knows who that could have been. Um, please do send us a tweet if you remember. A ball headed over Mims that was then cleared off the line by Tony Barris. What I love about this, this particular snippet of the highlight, Simon, is I can imagine a young chipsy in the you know the midst of the shippo with that, you know, that, that collection of bodies... And I've been there myself at Boom Crescent when I was much younger. And 
I love it when the action's at the other end of the field, you're under the cosh, it's chance after chance, and you've got no bloody idea what's happening at the yeah. uh, at the at the Grosner end. Yeah. Um, and it's stuff like goal line clearances and all that. That is, you know, you have no idea what how close you've come no, to conceding. Not, not and I time. love that. And I had that feeling reading that reading about that highlight, a goal line clearance from uh, from from Barris. Um, and I just wanted to point out that's just something I miss about you know about Boom Crescent about standing on the ship. Though I have no really idea what's going on the way end, did you? No, it's a really good point, and I think Barris was a, a proper blood and guts, old fashioned up and atom. So we, we'll just mm. assume that he literally <laughs> slid in and cleared it off the line. Who knows? But I mean, <laughs> I, I I really love Barris. I thought he was a really really great player for us and a, a proper club servant. And actually. Um, I know Barry Jones got back-to-back Player of the Years, and I think that was basically because Barris Longsliding was so good. I wasn't convinced by Jones. Anyway, but no, I'm completely with you. I, uh, Bootham Crescent had that ability. You you couldn't always see, could you? It was always that. Mm. But to kind of read the reaction from the away fans or the sides and kind of work out what happened, basically. Yeah. It's good. So, yeah, we were clinging on as we edged towards the end of the game. So Alan Little decided to look to his subs bench. Now, first of all, Brought on Rodney Rowe uh, with 12 minutes left to play. Fair enough. And then decided to bring on certain Andy Dawson to make his debut on 84 Here we minutes. Go. Now, I think this was possibly because of an injury um, because he he brought him on out of position as well. So I believe that Dawson was a fullback. Yeah, he was. Um, he came on because um, he was replacing at no distance left to run. Um, he was injured. He, he couldn't sustain it. So Dawson comes on out of position, as you say, further up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, I think he's he's maybe out wide, or he's mm. certainly he's certainly playing quite far forward. It's his first chance. Um, you know, he's got six minutes left to make an impact. Doesn't even need six minutes. It's nope. only about a minute later when he gets his first touch of the ball, and it's a touch which is magical and memorable, according mm-hmm. to Tony Kelly. And I can't disagree with that because this is when we regain the lead to make it two-one. And it's curled in, it's 2-1 York, Dawson scores. Um, there's not very long highlights of this no. goal. All you really see is is Rodney Rowe with his back to goal in the area, laying it off to Dawson, who's rushing in. Bearing in mind that Rowe is, must be all of four foot. He holds it up really, <laughs> really well against much, yeah. much bigger boys from Man City. And yeah, and Dawson runs in, curls it brilliantly, uh, runs away to the shippo. We're all shouting, "You're so great!" And um, it goes from there. It's just, a, it, it just a, a universal, the universal feeling of ecstasy as that goal goes in. Is it the f- first touch in English football? It is his very. It is exact. It is his first touch in English football. Um, it's his debut. He's never played professionally. I think, um, arguably, it's it's his high point in senior football. I don't think he play. He plays a bit I for mean, us after that. He doesn't. I, ho- I, I mean, I hope. Um, I think I know it's definitely is 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 high point in in English football. I mean, he's pretty much said as much to me personally. You know, in oh, well, in the future after we'll this, so, which I'm sure we'll come on to that later. But I also love the fact that correct me if I'm wrong. He's a he was a right back. Is that right, Chipsy? He was a right back, yeah. And that's his left foot. Lovely old job. It is his left. Yeah, it is. It is. It is a lovely thing. Probably not Andy Dawson's high point in his entire career because you know he went on to. Have a podcast with Bob Mortimer, didn't he? And uh, <laughs> that was uh, a bit of a change of direction. 
I do want to say very quickly, um, I want to contradict myself a little bit when I was talking so um, gushingly about uh, Russell's chip over Mims earlier, but that being the only real bit of quality um, that you'd see in such a game. I do think um, Rose, little assist, yeah, if you outside the boot away, it's, it's a, a great thing. place. We, we talked about um, Dawson coming on to play out of position, but he's set up marvellously by uh, Rodders there, isn't he? You know, fair play to the, uh, the Willie Bin dumping guy. <laughs> Allegedly. Yeah, we, we took the lead and we held on to win it 2-1. Mm-hmm. Going just three points behind Manchester City at that point in the league. And bearing in mind, this is the last game before Christmas, I believe. Mm. So we're about halfway <sighs> point in that season. Best days, eh? Best days. It's genuinely it's genuinely heartbreaking. And we were going to discuss the, this, the season as a whole, but that statistic, Simon, is genuinely heartbreaking. Yeah. So let, let's look at the post-match reaction, first of all. So got some quotes here from the managers. Mm-hmm. Um, and players. So Alan Little was very uh, respectful in victory, said they have a very good team. Their approach play was terrific and the delivery into our penalty area was just fantastic. But this is the second division and maybe they haven't got a handle on that yet. It's a nice bit of uh, uh, of condescending. Uh, it's quite <laughs> passive-aggressive, that, isn't it? It's really... <laughs> it, it's, it's, yeah, nice, but, you know, velvet fist and steel glove. No, it's the other mm. way around, isn't it? Anyway, I've basically done a, a Tony Kelly there, haven't I? And just gone off on a tan. Yeah, anyway, carry on. Wayne Hall said, playing against Man City is near enough an FA Cup final for us. It was our Wembley because they're such a big club and it's a great scalp to have. Mm. Well, I mean, I the, think... the puns just write themselves there with Wayne Hall referring to a scalp. But, uh... <laughs> Very good. I mean, but I think that backs up what we were saying, that we at that time considered just kind of as a team and a club, we just thought, well, we'll just stay in the division and punching above our weight is is enough. And I think the fact that the players are going, oh, you know, playing Man City at home is like winning the... I mean, it's not really, lads. They're just they're mm. a team in your division. It's not. It's a good quote. And we've got a nice, a nice um, hairline pun out of it. But <laughs> I think that possibly sums up why what happened to us happened to us. Because the players yeah. thought that beating Man City was like a cup fight. No, it's not. They're just in your league. It's just, it, yeah. And yeah. there's a mentality thing there. Yeah, we've got um, a quote from Joe Royal after the game mm-hmm. as well, who said, we are shell-shocked and it's hard to imagine we have lost. Unfortunately, it's becoming an all-too-familiar story. We gave two silly goals away but dominated the game. Craig Russell was exceptional for us and scored a great goal, but we defended badly for both their goals, although it should not have mattered. So... Yeah, the pressure was really sort of starting to uh, to pile on Joe Royal at this point. I think there was uh, quite a lot of anger from the from the Man City mm. fans in the aftermath of this game. Yeah, I mean, this is famously the low point, isn't it? Um, yeah. Statistically, this is it twelfth in the. Yeah, yeah, I think two. all Man City fans will say this is a low, if not the yeah. low, you know, in their in their club history. And the numbers of them that had been there to the end and seen that low. Mm. What I do love about this this ninety minutes of, of of football is that even if it is twenty five years ago, it's so you know imprints the memories of so many Manchester City fans and very much in the history of the club. It maybe it's like you know giant all conquering you know juggernaut right now that you know treble winners last season, but little old York City is still quite a big part of their history. To the point that um, one of my favourite Twitter accounts, which is now very sadly dormant but it's always worth a laugh, was called York Away, 
And it was, oh, really? specific, it was specifically retweet Man City fans calling out other Man City fans for complaining about things under the current regime, saying, ah, wasn't a good performance away at Arsenal. You know, it's not good enough. Do you not remember York away? Oh, <laughs> ah, we only got a draw at home for Liverpool, which are really doing better than that. Do you not remember York away? And I just love the fact that one person set that up to make a point of like pointing out that, you know, no matter That's how awesome. bad things may get under the best manager with the best players in the world, there was always York away. In terms of fans' views on the day itself, they are preserved for posterity in the press match report as well, which is quite nice. We've got one from Gary Chatterton, 31, who said, things have to be looking up if we can turn over a club like Man City. Other teams should not hold any fears for us. And we have some lower place clubs to come in the near future. I see Gary Chatterton there making as accurate a prediction as to when I memorably went on this pod a few months ago and proclaimed that Castro would be a world beater for us. And... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it is easy to, to laugh with the benefit of hindsight. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, the the quotes kind of all have a similar vibe that this could be the start of something. Alex Beddingham, age 15, said, It is yeah. to be hoped that the victory will turn our results around by boosting confidence at the club, although it was only one game and consistency has to be the key. Mm. Um, and yeah, I believe he uh, went on to don the, the lion costume. He did. In future. He did. Mm, became familiar to millions at that point. But yeah, we've obviously had 25 years have passed since then. Christ. <laughs> yep. We're all older, not necessarily wiser. Certainly lower in the football pyramid, in the case of us. Mm. I thought you were referring to my hairline for a minute then. <laughs> <laughs> but we did want to get people's memories and recollections of the game itself. Now, strangely... Not many of the uh, 80,000 Manchester City fans who were there have been able to <laughs> to recall that. Maybe they've blocked it out with it being such a, a bad memory. But we have got plenty of York fans' memories here. Uh, J286 says, went with my uncle and two mates, who were all called Chris. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is a detail I enjoy. <laughs> Seem to remember they battered us, but wild celebrations when Dawson scored, much to yeah. the dismay of the Man City fans on the row in front of us in the pop stand. Ah, so that's suggesting ah, okay. that they were in the pop stand but weren't necessarily meant to be. Yeah. Lou Mills 84. I was on holiday in the States. We made a phone call back home to get the result instead of waiting for the next papers, but we're still probably one of the last York fans to find out. That really does age it, doesn't it? Getting Finding the results via telephone back home i love that uh dylan hildreth said scored with almost first kick and last kick of game atmosphere yeah. after game in the pubs on Bootham was brilliant with it being last saturday before christmas alvino did flow on the train home <laughs> uh, rock and roll nobody said i remember being behind the goal when andy dawson hit his shot it came straight towards me it was a great effort i remember thinking the game had been quite even but we'd edged it just and that man city looks very ordinary I honestly thought they'd be in Division 2 for years. Mm. Few people who missed out on it, as well as the uh, person over in the US. So Liam Holmes said, didn't bother going. It was Man City, not Man United. Just a run-of-the-mill league match at the time. I don't regret my actions one bit. <laughs> not sure if there's a uh, slight element of sarcasm uh, involved there. <laughs> and York City Tom 
just in case your research doesn't throw this up, it was their lowest point, which has got a trademark after it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is a point of minor contention because, you know, um, people who listen to the pod will know that I lived there for 17 years and this, this topic is something that came up quite a lot when discussing the matter with um, Manchester City supporters. But they did have uh, a defeat at home to Mansfield in the auto windscreen uh, shield, auto glass windscreen, whatever it's called, the, the Football League Cup. Mm. Uh, famously at Main Road in front of 3,007 fans a few weeks before they came to Boomer Crescent, which is um, a secondary league cup. You know, it's not a, a major trophy, about, of course, but that's also a, a, a nadir, of course. Other, other losses that I can see there, there was a defeat um, against Wickham, a defeat against um, Lincoln City as well. So, yeah. Is there a second Twitter account that calls out the York Away Twitter account with Mansfield <laughs> at home? Responses. <laughs> well, you know, City fans are known for their Man City fans are known for their beef, so you know, who who knows? But um, <laughs> I have had the discussion about, oh yeah, but I was I was at this other game that we got beat in, and it's like no, statistically, you know, you can't revise yeah. it. Your quasla, it was just it was it how was. it was. It was league position. It was the sheer de- uh, difference in size between Manchester yeah. City and York City. This was their lowest point, and um, hell, the fact that they've got so many bloody documentaries and. You know, think pieces about it in the years later show that they probably agree with us. Uh, they do got a hell of a run afterwards, though, don't they? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, like we said, Joe Royal must have been under a fair bit of pressure at the time. You know, went to bed on Saturday night <clears throat> thinking, "Am I going to get that Sunday morning call from the chairman to uh, to give me the sack just before Christmas?" But no, he they kept faith for Joe Royal, and mm. pretty much soon after this, they really started to to kick on and turn things round this season so they went on a bit of a run and only lost two more league games all season and went on to finish third at the end of the season comfortably in the playoffs managed to beat Wigan in the playoff semis and then faced Gillingham in the uh, in the final now that's another very famous game in, in Manchester City's history I'm sure we all remember that one where they were 2-0 down right near the end uh, brought it back to 2 mm-hmm. all, and then won on penalties uh, Nicky Weaver I think was a uh, Bit of a hero in that one. I just want to take this opportunity very quickly, Simon, to say um, this particular season for Manchester City, the very famous 98-99 season, our our friend, um, my wife and I's friend, uh, Dave Mooney, who does a fantastic Blue Moon podcast, um, an independent Man City fans podcast, covering everything that's happening over at the Etihad now. Um, he's written an excellent book about this season in question uh, with a foreword by uh, Joe Royal. So it's who you know. Wow. Uh, t- titled um, "Looks Like Scunny Next Season," which was uh, the quote that Joe apparently says um, in that final against Gillingham when things are started to look a little bit bad. I think it's Carlos Saba scores for uh, for Gillingham, if I remember correctly, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, Tony Pulis is Gillingham, I think. Mm. So yeah, um, I flicked <laughs> through the book. Obviously, it's uh, more so for Man City fans, but obviously, I'm sure all football fans will enjoy what was a quite a, a strange season. For a side that they come on to become such a massive, massive side, but yeah, so to, to point that out there, and uh, and and uh, Dave has been very, very helpful with some uh, info in preparation for this podcast as well. So, um, yeah, just wanted to uh, to mention that. No, it definitely sounds like an interesting read. May uh, may investigate that myself. But yeah, the season culminated in that penalties win over Gillingham. Richard Edgehill scoring the the winning penalty, and yeah, they've never really looked back since. Uh, I think you could say. <laughs> Royal led them to back-to-back promotions following season, 
finished mm-hmm. second in Division One to return to the Premier League. They did have another brief dalliance in the second tier, but only for one season. And mm-hmm. yeah, since then, yeah, they've done all right for themselves. I think uh, they, <laughs> they haven't been back to the third tier since. Uh, I think we can definitely say. Um, I think I think in all seriousness, Simon, you're absolutely correct. Obviously, they didn't look back after this season, but um, if you do speak to the proper match going City fans, or maybe our age, maybe a little bit older, that that win against Gillingham, that that playoff final win was crucial to their very survival. They were experiencing massive, massive issues behind the scenes uh, financially. It was an absolute basket case. I think they got promotion in spite of it. So I think um, the aforementioned Royals' lament regarding Scunthorpe next season was um, maybe not so, you know, jokey. It was actually quite serious about the very future of Manchester City. And if they don't beat Gillingham in that final, then I don't think, you know, the elephant in the room about 2008, I don't think that happens. So it's a a very, very influential season in, in Manchester City's history. Sliding doors. Absolutely. We could be seeing Gillingham as the champions of Europe right now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in terms of how things went after that for York, I guess we must touch on that, unfortunately. <clears throat> um, so we did have a couple more wins over the festive period. We went away against Oldham and Wickham. But then we went on a 10-game winless run that ultimately led to Alan Little being sacked in March. Um, we also sold Richard Cresswell to Sheffield Wednesday later that month for just shy of a million pounds. See, I have a theory about this. I said at the top that I that basically Craig ran on a a model of bringing through a, a promising youngster, blooding them, um, and then selling them on for significant money. Um, Garrett, who stars in this game, makes the pass that puts Cresswell through to cross for Connolly for the first goal. Had broken through, uh, was being watched. And at, in that season, we actually turned down a bid of a million pounds or just over a million pounds from Sheffield Wednesday. Um, and within six months, uh, Garrett has been sacked by the club. And as um, for behaviour, which they deemed not becoming. And as we all know, the Garrett story is very tragic. Um, he drops out of football fairly quickly, plays a bit for a couple of other clubs um, and then um, unfortunately um, appears to delve into um, some sad circumstances. Um, He is believed to be homeless at some point in Middlesbrough and dies very, very young. And the sliding doors moment is if we accept that bid from someone who obviously is talented, but, you know, perhaps is argued has got issues and maybe could it be so could do we do did we do the best for him perhaps we did perhaps we didn't but if we sold him sheffield wednesday for a million pounds we presumably didn't have to sell cresswell for the same money if we don't sell cresswell who was our only source of gold at that point we might have scored more goals we might have stayed up yeah it does seem odd in retrospect that you know you're in a relegation fight all right we weren't actually in the relegation zone until right at the end of the season but still you know it's late march there's a few weeks left of the season Surely you hang on to your top scoring and you can tell Shepherd Wednesday, yep, we're happy to, to mm. send him your way, but can he just hang on till May? We need to stay up in this league as well. The model was we sold at that time. That's just what we did. Um, we actually sold Barris as well about the same time, I think, for a very... And that, I, don't think that, that, I don't think that helps either, but that's a, a by the by. But yeah, so we replaced Dan Little with Neil Thompson as player manager. Managed to pick up a few wins after taking over. Uh, but we did go into the last game of the season, which ironically was the reverse fixture to this one at Main Road, uh, in danger of relegation. But 
I mean, looking at the table, not in that much danger of relegation. I think every result in that we go in with one game to play and there's other teams with the two or maybe even three games to play in that final week and every result goes against us in that final week, which puts us in to a certain extent in danger. My memory of that is stood on the... They had some kind of weird scaffolding arrangement in the away end. I don't know if memory was being developed or whatever, but I definitely remember basically being stood on scaff with seats bolted mm. onto it and it's shaking about. And this is, of course, his pre-smartphone. Uh, the Man City uh, scoreboard flashes up scores from the grounds and the the wick, we're four down by the point where we are, we're, you know, Mims has saved us being absolutely pasted. The team is to bits. Thompson hasn't set us up properly. It, it's a, we were clearly out and buried, basically hanging on for the other game. And the result, they, they flash up nil-nil. And people around me are celebrating, but someone else has a radio and goes, no, no, it's one nil. And there was that horrible moment where some people have got radios and know what's going on that, uh, that we're in the relegation zone, and the scoreboard, which is doing um, live scores from other games, says it's nil nil, and there's about half the half of our lot seem to know and half didn't, and then then that then it changes, and there's that horrible horrible hush, uh, and I think we're in the relegation zone for like seven minutes, um, if that for the whole season, but it's the crucial seven minutes, and we go. Yeah, so going into the game, sort of on the day of that uh, game at Main Road, I've got the table in front of me now as it looked. So we were on 50 points. Uh, There were Macclesfield and Lincoln. Neither of them could catch us. Northampton on 47, both Oldham and Wickham on 48. So really, Oldham and Wickham both had to win. We had to lose. And yeah, unfortunately, that's pretty much what happened. So yeah, it was... uh, the end of our era in the third tier and much like Manchester City we also haven't been back there since <laughs> so in terms of sort of closing thoughts where does this game stand in our sort of uh, memories of, of supporting the club or in the, the club's overall history um, because in a way you could see it as maybe the last hurrah of the 90s mm. you know after the you know the promotion in 93, the, the cup wins against uh, Man United and Everton. This is, you know, one last nice result in front of a, of a big crowd before mm. our sort of slow decline into non-league. But this game will always kind of be tinged with the memory of the of the 4-0 defeat away that sent us down yeah. as well. Yeah, um, so I think so. It's kind of a, a bit of a bittersweet one, really. Yeah, I for me, this is, um, as you say, this is kind of the, the, very much the last hurrah of the, of that nineties squad, it's the last draft for some of those players that I, when I started watching, were kind of cornerstones of the team. It's obviously the last hurrah of Alan Little, really. Um, who, mm. as I said at the top, I think at the time I'd kind of fallen out of love with as a manager. I think looking back, I I was wrong. Yeah, um, as we slide away into the lower leagues, and as of yet, twenty five years on, still haven't got back there. Um, I think it is that kind of last turn. Therefore, I think it does. It probably should stand as one of our achievements of the 90s just because it represented a time when we went toe-to-toe with a team who were, you know, obviously at their low ebb, but, you know, we punched above our weight and we won. And it, as a time when we were still that, that lower, that plucky team kind of, you know, trying our best in that league. And I think as we went down the league, that hasn't been the case. And I think we've been very much the Man City getting punched up by those lower teams. And mm. we need to get back to a state where we're higher up and doing it to higher teams still. What I think about this is it's, it's a bit of a strange one. It is the last hurrah of the 90s. 
um, for York. And I won't go too deeply into it because we've got bloody hell we could do an entire podcast. But that Division Three era was just awful squads after awful squads, mm. wasn't it? Until we eventually went down in 04. The, you know, the, we, I joked earlier about the Thompson signing the Halifax team, which is a meme amongst York City fans, and then Dolan coming in, hell tell, and all that. But that is, you know, the context of that is this relegation in this particular season. We were became we became our own basket case, you know, the the wage percentage, what was it, two hundred percent of the expenditure and all that. Yeah, sort of this is the this palaver. is the point where we start spending, isn't it? We throw money yeah. at players who are not up to it. We buy all yeah. kinds of rubbish and yeah. we end up as you say we 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 have the the highest wage to turnover ratio of any club in any division at any point and we hold that record <laughs> for quite some time. Um and that goes that that record goes well next to our um being the only club refusing to sign up to the kick out of racism um pledge. So you know what a club we were in the nineties. A but solid it, pair. I think we can <laughs> say that our chairman at the time was quite a charmless man really wasn't he? We can. He was not uh he was not a very good uh good boy was he unfortunately but in terms of the Man City result the thing is when I when I talked about this game with Manchester City supporters in Manchester in my time living there. You know, we all had a bit of a joke about it. Just in the same way that it was a joke about the 3-0 at Old Trafford, it was a topic of conversation. But it would always be a case of, well, you must prefer, you know, if you look at two Manchester big clubs, you must prefer City United. And I always say, absolutely not, no chance. Well, why? Well, because you didn't need to beat us on the last game of the season. You were happy, you were easily in third and you couldn't move. You had to beat us 4-0 just to get the point home. You relegated us. With the last, what was it, seven minutes of the season, seven whatever minutes, it was. Yeah. yeah. You you didn't need to win 4-0. You were done. Your season was complete. You could have rested the entire squad. But no, you had to go win 4-0 in front of the crowd at Main Road for the last league game of the season. So no, I don't like Manchester City for that very reason. Yeah, but this is... It, and I think um, I think we were implied it earlier. The Man City... The Manchester United League Cup game. And in fact, to a lesser extent, the Everton Cup game as well. They're, you know, they were at that time... Recently, historically, big teams. Manchester yeah. City were historically are a big side. Of course, they. Are. I'm not going to be the idiot who says they've only doing new money club and all that stuff. Sixties and seventies, they were winning trophies. But in the recent memory, the eighties and very much the nineties, mm. they were known to be a basket case. They were known to be on yeah. the way down. They were just they were becoming just another league team. And had mm. they, and as I said before, had they not beaten Gillingham, they would have become possibly a League One team for a very very, very long time. So. The result stands as a as a fun bit of nostalgia, yeah. a good talking point amongst um, you know proper uh, football supporters, and also sticks out. You know, it's a bit of a, a black eye to a club that is now the biggest club on the planet. You know, financially, but it's a bit of a, a weird anomaly, really, in yeah. that um, it kind of means nothing, and especially Simon after what you said with the relegation at the end, and also the fact it is this very team that relegates us in in May. It's it's almost it's just... too perfect a scriptwriter job that isn't it that it the is way that, that so. comes out you if that was you know oh, that's not that's not realistic that's not how this I mean, works. Some Man City fans know about the two one but they don't know that the four nil relegates yeah. us. It's yeah, that yeah. famous, you know. So um, it's great to talk about and I and I love talking about it. But um, don't tell my wife. I'd much rather talk about the three nil Old Trafford. Yeah, well, you mentioned your wife there. We should probably cover that because you have managed to reunite. The uh, the two teams from this game in in matrimony. <laughs> yes, that's that's right. Yeah, um, it was a wonderful moment. Um, thanks to our good friend Phil Howden, who um, with his connections working for the club previously, was able to get in touch with Andy Dawson, who now lives in Australia with his family. Yeah, obviously his career in the game didn't quite work out, 
as we said, he's a, he was a local lad. I believe he was from Strensel originally. Uh, he moved to Australia. I think I think the story is that Phil got a copy of this game on DVD to, out to the Dawson family for them to uh, relive the memories. And Andy used those immortal words, if you ever need a favour, please do let me know. Obviously, me about to be uh, married to uh, a Manchester City scene ticket holder meant that Phil had to get a video sent across by uh, Mr. Dawson, um, wishing us um, a happy wedding day, um, making some wonderful bad jokes that would not look out of place on this podcast, um, including the immortal line that uh, Helen, uh, Ben thinks that unlike Nicky Weaver, that you're a keeper, which is a line that will live me with me forever. Uh, I love that. I know. And the fact that he does the entire uh, video um, in front of his framed Dawson Yorkshire shirts and Doesn't match he? program from the from the, this particular fixture. So a lovely bit of business. He's very very proud of it, and um, you can tell he's got a big smile on his face as he does it. So um, yeah, my own personal history is tied very much into this fixture now. And um, when that video was played out at my wedding, we had a lot of bitter, angry blues uh, in the uh, in the crowd. All that was missing was some inflatable bananas. Well, yeah, we are. Sadly, out of time, but thanks for joining us uh, on this Retro Rewind special. Um, we hope you enjoy the 25th anniversary of this game, however you choose to celebrate. I'll be having some cigarettes and alcohol myself. All right. I'm looking forward to being called back for the Retro Rewind where we look at the FC United of Manchester games <laughs> as this, this podcast's seeming Manchester retro correspondent. Um, but yes, thank you very much for having me, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure as always. Yeah, and thanks very much for for coming on. And until next time, keep the faith. Yo, listen up. Here's the story about a little guy that lives in a blue world. And all day and all night and everything he sees is just blue. Like him inside and outside. Blue his house with a blue little window and a blue corvette. And everything is blue for him and himself and everybody around. Cause he ain't got nobody to listen.